begun. I, I can't focus unless the gun is on the table. Nothing is normal or natural or start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for frequent fire miles. We have to get out of this building. They made soup out of my research department. See, this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. Sick transit <laughs> Gloria. <laughs> Glory fades. Hello and welcome to Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator. I am one of your two hosts. Jeremy Schmidt is my name. Los Angeles based comedian, writer, extraordinaire. I'm here with my incredible co-host, the delightful, delectable, delicious. It's triple D, uh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Eric Keppel, uh, <laughs> more commonly known as Triple D. Triple D. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We got a so, uh, crazy episode today. It's the sophomore attempt at filmmaking by a rookie, Wes Anderson, with his smash box office hit, Rushmore. Um, very excited to get to this one, Eric. This was kind of one of the ones I was kind of waiting for. Yeah, me too. This is, uh, you know, one of my... I mentioned going into this that Bottle Rocket was my favorite uh, Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Rushmore before before this, and not to say what I thought of the uh, this recent rewatch, but I would have said Rushmore was my second favorite. Mm-hmm. So very excited to uh, to revisit this bad boy. Yeah, it was definitely one I was looking forward to. I always look forward to another Rushmore viewing. Um, I've probably seen the movie about. A hundred million times in my life. Uh, this is one that kind of get goes on at least once a year, maybe sometimes even twice. Is that what all those tallies are that are scratched <laughs> into the walls of your bedroom? Yeah, I was. At, they're actually tattoos I do on my body every time I watch Rushmore. <laughs> I, I I I slide okay. a, another another tattoo on. Um, yeah, so we have a exciting show for you planned. We're going to talk all about Rushmore. Uh, what we thought of the film. Uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy, where you can go and subscribe at the $5 tier. And this is a great month to do it because oh, we yeah. are we are uh, wrist deep in our Halloween specials. All Halloween themed episodes, spooky, scary films right down the line. We uh, covered Halloween yeah. 2 this week. That is the 1981 oh, yeah. Halloween 2 and uh what else we got lined up i know we're doing hubie halloween hubie halloween idle of hands idle hands the devon saw jeremy, classic <laughs> the uh you know there's a poll up on the twitter although it will be over by the time you're hearing this mm-hmm. uh with the uh this some of the audience suggestions that we got uh it looks like return of the living dead is in the is in the lead oh but, really uh, there's some other, uh, yeah. Those are our buddy Brian uh, suggested that, and uh, Christine, the car, and Vampire's Kiss are also in the running. Vampire's uh, Kiss was winning last time I checked that poll, so that's it was. That's it's, crazy. Uh, yeah, it's off by a couple of votes now. It's behind by a couple of votes. Mm, mm. Well, I'll be excited yeah. to watch all of those films, no matter if I recover them from the show or not. I'll probably watch watch them all privately. Yeah, if if. People pick the car. I'm quitting the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. I don't. I don't even know anything. I like 
Googled the car and looked at the artwork and know nothing about it. I hope that car is uh, voiced by Owen Wilson. That would be, that would get me excited about that movie. I would be, I would watch more animated movies if uh, Owen Wilson uh, did more voiceover work. Yeah. I'm also, uh, do you, did you ever watch the pilot Heat Vision and Jack? That's like no, the the, uh, I, the Dan Harmon pilot is. with Jack Black at the helm. He's like the star of it. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. It's one of those like uh, hidden gem, like never got produced, uh, but they made a you pilot. You can watch it? Yeah, yeah. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube, I believe. It's a, it's a half hour long comedy pilot uh, called Heat Vision and Jack, where uh, it's Jack Black and he has a talking motorcycle as his partner and the talking motorcycle is voiced by Owen Wilson. (laughs) And, uh, it's really good. It's like a, it's like one of those, like, how did this not get made pilots? Yeah. Mm hmm. Sort of like every pilot that I've written. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Including up to and including undercover uncle, which we haven't got an update in a while. So, you know, I haven't, it's, it's been, I haven't worked on it in a little while. (laughs) Uh, It is, it is going to be my uh, feature film. You know, if anyone, uh, not to give away any details, but if anyone is interested in uh, producing uh, a comedy film called undercover uncle, (laughs) I've got a good like 12 pages down great great a tight 12 pages mm-hmm. out of what's probably going to be a hundred and uh you know a few million bucks i think we could do it yeah just I a think, few i think we could pull it off and i think jeremy i think you would have to be the uncle in question i would love that i would love nothing more than to play <laughs> undercover uncle i am another an undercover uncle in my real life too so i think i would oh, great i wouldn't have to go very deep to 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 access that that kind of that kind of character um, so that's exciting, buddy. I, uh, you know, not to, not to spend too much time on what we've been working on, but I just recently finished a pilot. Oh, great. What yeah. it's dude. Pilots are, uh, incredibly difficult to write. Yeah. yeah they suck. <laughs> They're like the worst. Yes. Yeah. It took, it took literally forever, but once you're finished, then you have it and it sits on your hard drive forever. <laughs> It goes nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at least yeah, you but, get you know. to, you know, at least once you're done, um, you never get to look at it again. That's that's sort of your prize is that uh, nothing happens. But no, I'll be what sending it, it out. Do you, you want to pitch it to the people or do you want to uh, keep it under wraps? You know what, buddy? Just to stay safe, I think it's a really good concept, so I'm going to keep it under wraps. <laughs> All right. If but, I see, if I'm watching TV in like four years... Mm-hmm. And I see a written by Jeremy Schmidt, created by Jeremy Schmidt, and it's a TV show about an undercover uncle. I'm going to be so pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, dude. I uh, I'll send you the I'll send you the pilot though, and uh, maybe oh yeah, we'll, I'll read it. Maybe yeah. we'll send up a Patreon tier for uh, people who want to read the pilot. <laughs> I was thinking about that too. I have some like old funny like spec script mm-hmm. that I wouldn't mind at least having someone look at. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it would be cool. Yeah, I, I I'm a. Uh, I, I was I, I haven't been able to do much during quarantine because I've been so um, just earth shatteringly depressed. But now that I'm pulling myself kind of out of it and finish that thing, I feel like I'm on a I'm on a roll. I'll probably continue just write, doing some more work, writing some more stuff, maybe trying to get it out there, maybe not. Who knows? Um, but yeah, the uh, we got a lot of stuff again going on on the Patreon. So please 
give it a whirl. You know, you can always try it out for a month. And if you don't like it, cancel. But uh, it's patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. A lot of great stuff on there. Excited about our Halloween 2 discussion. Excited about our Hubie Halloween and Idle Hands discussion. And um, yeah. So, Eric, uh, let's get let's get started here, buddy. Like, did... You mentioned to me that Rushmore was your second favorite film when you first saw it, uh, second only to Bottle Rocket. Um, do, do you feel mm-hmm. like he's a director who just gets kind of worse and worse every movie he makes? Or no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think that because I do. Um, they kind of no, go. Out I don't of think order so. After but that, yeah, yeah, okay. it goes a little out of order after that. Although I do think. Tenenbaums is maybe my third favorite. So I don't know. Maybe I do think that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see as time goes on if also that like changes or what. But um, what is your history with the film? Were you you weren't working at the theater when this came out, right? No, that was, no. That was, I, this came out in what? Oh two ninety eight. No, earlier than that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, no, yes, I was uh, probably nine years old. <laughs> I didn't see Rushmore until. I, I, I remember watching it in high school. It was one of those I was finally able to drive a car to Blockbuster by myself, and it, I, I, Rushmore was one of the films that I that I watched during that period of my life. Mm-hmm. And there was also a period in like the early twenties, uh, like in my early twenties, where I watched it a couple times again and 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 really enjoyed it. I was thinking about. This watching this movie again, which I haven't seen in you know over five years. I don't even know how long it's been, hmm. but probably longer than that. It I I it caused me to come up with this uh, theory or this concept that I think I experienced while watching it, which I would call the uh, the catcher in the rye effect, mm. where mm-hmm. when I was uh, I discovered Catcher in the Rye a little late. I think I was in my late teens. But when I read that book, I was like, this book was written for me. I 100% identify with Holden Caulfield. Yeah. Um, I feel like the person who made this gets me. <laughs> and I've never seen this like been done before uh-huh. in, in art. And right. I kind of felt that way with, with Rushmore. Sure. But here's the thing. I went back when I was uh, probably in my mid-20s and a little bit older and I reread a lot of Catcher in the Rye, and I was like, you know, I can really appreciate this. And I was reading a lot of the parts that I like highlighted that I thought were really profound. And I'm like, this is great. Like, this is technically very good, and I'm having a good time. But it lost that sort of like I no longer identified with that character. Sure, it doesn't do, and I think that's an important thing to consider with especially like coming of age you know stories and stuff mm-hmm. is like it's gonna have a different effect on uh, di- what it depends on where you are where you're at in your own life and stuff is is gonna have a big effect because when i watched rushmore again i was like laughing and ha- very entertained and you know i thought it was great but i didn't have that it kind of bummed me out that i didn't have that feeling anymore it, it made me feel old to be honest and it that depressed me, but that's more of my problem. <laughs> yeah. In the film. Well, you know, that's so interesting. And I totally agree with you actually a hundred percent. I think that, okay, let me 
but maybe with an addendum. So like I agree about the Holden Caulfield thing. I'm also going to throw another book in there called, uh, I think it's called Perks of Being a Wallflower is the, mm-hmm. the name of the book. That's another book that was kind of big when I was in high school that everybody read and was like, so, and identified so closely with. And I would just say with Catching the Rye, Perks of Being a Wallflower and emo and the whole emo indie music scene in general <laughs> including bands like bright eyes and death cap for cutie they're all things that i super related to and thought this thing totally gets me until i got a little older and then i found it to be almost kind of annoying <laughs> like the disposition of being such a neurotic outcast and um you know having uh, all these pent up emotions that you're unable to ex- express and the world doesn't get you, you know, um, when you kind of get a little older, I think you find these characters to be a little bit more like, um, I think you just realize how many real problems there are in the world. And then you kind of go like, yeah, okay. Like let's get it. Let's buck up here. Let's get it together a little bit. I think that with Rushmore, yeah. Um, I saw Jason Schwartzman's character as more relatable when I first saw the film, just like you did. And now I see him as a bit of an anti-hero with a really good arc where he goes through actually a, a profound change. And I think that um, I, I I respect Rushmore a lot more now. I also identify with the Bill Murray character more than ever. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah me too. Like uh, he's almost now the person I identify with instead of, um, you know, max like there's so many yep. things that i didn't re- i didn't re- know i didn't remember about rushmore where i learned for the first time in this viewing like for example i had totally missed that that it's like a throwaway line where uh bill murray talks about being in vietnam and uh max is like were you in the shit <laughs> bill murray just goes, yeah <laughs> yeah i was in the shit <laughs> and then later when you see the vietnam play he's crying well that scene never i mean i just thought that was like a funny moment but I totally had forgotten that, oh, yeah, Bill Murray fought in Vietnam. That's why he's crying in that scene. Mm, um, yeah. There's like there's like little things like that I noticed for the very first time. And uh, yeah, Max as, you know, I, I do not, I really love the character Max uh, and that Jason Schwartzman plays in the film. I do not relate to him, but I do like him a lot. And I do like his arc. And I think... He where he starts and ends up is really cool, and you know I don't know if you had a similar experience to that, but it sounds like maybe you just kind of soured on the character altogether. Yeah, I think what I one thing that I like realized this time around is like this I I didn't necessarily identify with Max, like I wasn't I wasn't really like Max, but mm-hmm. there are certain things like his, you know, some of his s- smartassery. But also, I kind of realized, like, he's sort of a loser. (laughs) Oh, he's a huge loser, yes. Like, a huge failure loser. Like, he, he, I don't know. I guess because he, at the beginning, he's presented as this kind of guy who's, like, he's the head of every club and Mm -hmm. he does all these things. And then you find out that he's not necessarily good at any of them. Yeah, that is also something that, and I will get into it when we talk about the plot of the film, but that is something, I think this film is, is, again, we're really early in Wes Anderson's career. I think he telegraphs to the audience actually a little bit of a misunderstanding of Max right off the bat. I actually think this film has like really big problems right away where 
Max is actually the worst student in Rushmore. And that wasn't clear to me the first few times I watched the movie. Even though uh, Guggenheim says it out loud, immediately it goes into a sequence where it showcases all of his success, which is like being the president of all these clubs. It's later then described that he is just spending too much time with extracurriculars and that he's actually failing his actual classes. But I guess that just really confused me because in my, in my mind, it, it's, a, it's like the, the really good students were the ones who were a part of all these clubs growing up. So he's both like a really good and a really bad student at the same time. And I think that's kind of a problem. Like, I think that that, like, that that doesn't really make a lot of sense. And it kind of confuses me every time I watch it. Because I'm kind of just like, why are you in so into all these clubs? Why can't you just get good grades? Like, what what is your problem? If you love the school so much, why, why, why are you... Why are you intentionally choosing the all, like, the wrong things here? Um, and it maybe it's because of his diverse interests or whatever, but it's it's still, like... It's still kind of confusing, and I think that there's a lot of like things like that um, in the movie that that could probably be punched up a little bit, or probably could have used a second a second look see to kind of clean up. But that being said, speaking of clean, this movie is incredibly clean. It is yeah. a very well directed, well executed film. It's there's not a lot of fat in this movie. There's not a lot of things I would cut out of the film at all. Um. You know, even rewatching it, I was like, damn, this is like an hour and a half of just everything works in the movie and everything works on like a clock. It all has to be perfect for it to flow the way it does. And it really does a good job. A um, couple bits of trivia about the film before we get started. Mm-hmm. Uh, Schwartzman famously is a uh, Coppola. We talked about this. I can't remember what episode, but it was like a couple episodes ago. We talked about how Schwartzman was a Coppola. Um, yep. I don't think that I think he hid this fact during auditions and they ended up casting him not really knowing that. Um, but uh, he did come to the audition wearing a prep school blazer with the Rushmore patch that he made himself, which is incredibly charming. Bill Murray, uh, this is where he started his love affair with Wes Anderson. I find this relationship to be really charming. Uh, mm-hmm. according to IMDb, when Bill Murray first read the script, he thought it was so fantastic that he said he wanted to do it so badly he would do it for free. Can you imagine being Wes Anderson and that's Bill Murray's response to reading your script? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'd be insane. <laughs> yes. I mean, so great. Uh, yeah. So um, on the first day of principal photography, Wes Anderson delivered his directions to Bill Murray in a hushed whisper so odd he was working with the actor graciously murray deferred publicly to anderson helped haul equipment and when disney denied a helicopter scene that would have cost seventy five thousand dollars, he gave anderson a blank check to cover the cost that is true that is truly believing in the project you're making yeah i like that a lot Uh, yeah you can you can tell you you even get that sense without knowing the the backstory that Bill Murray's just really enjoys working with Wes Anderson. Yeah, totally. I wonder, you know, I bet these, I mean, I've read some of Wes Anderson's scripts. They're incredibly funny on the page, but I just imagine it being 1998 and there's nothing like this really out there. 
you know like mm. there's not stuff yeah. like, like indie the indie films of like the mid mid 2000s hadn't really taken off yet where we'd get kind of like a lot of wes anderson clones but you know i mean nothing you know he's he's a one of a kind these are one of a kind films that's why they're so special when they come out you know there's a few directors really like that and wes anderson's one of them um so yeah speaking uh, of owen wilson owen wilson co-wrote this one he did yes he did and uh i find that to be also very charming although he's not in the film he did co-write it um people don't really talk about owen wilson as a writer very often I, he's really I think he writes he co-wrote uh, Tenenbaums and then nothing else with Wes Anderson but those are I think the three funniest Wes Anderson movies I think a lot of the humor at least that I like in in, in these films is kind of it seems like Owen Wilson's comedic sensibilities a yeah bit. yeah that that very much might be the case that a lot or of the two of them just what the two of them working together yeah the you, coll- their collective sense of humor it's uh it's such a fun universe that wes anderson sets up for his you know his his characters to perform in and i think that it's that universe like that sort of stilted awkward wes anderson style mixed with you know probably owen wilson's sense of humor and sense of like I almost want to call it like irreverence. Like, uh, you know, it feels like Owen Wilson might have a little bit of a, uh, you know, just a little bit of a, a prankster kind of trickster like uh, vibe. Like it feels like a lot of his humor, his sense of humor is very, you know, adolescent. And then you mix that with the high society, <laughs> very <laughs> stuffy Wes Anderson style. And it really works wonders. Um, yeah, just a couple other little things, I guess, about the film. You know, it's uh, um, I- the line uh, for old time's sake is actually taken directly from The Godfather, which is <laughs> when uh, Tessio, I believe, before he's about to get killed, uh, asks uh, Robert Duvall's character, you know, hey, well, you know, could you could you get me out of this, you know, for old time's sake? <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, and then this uh, this is Alexis Bledel's first film on screen film role, which is pretty crazy. She didn't really have a role in it, but she sits in the audience at a couple of different scenes, and is her her name can be found in the uh, in the uh, save petition to save Latin. Um, mm. Alexis Bledel is the uh, Rory from Gilmore Girls. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Beyond that, I mean. Yeah, this film is directed by Wes Anderson, written by Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson. It stars Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Olivia Williams, who you don't see very often, but she's like got one of those very recognizable faces. Like you know, you've seen her in a bunch of stuff, but you can't really, you can't really place it. Uh, Brian Cox, of course, the great Seymour Cassell. The music is by Mark Mothersbaugh, and the cinematography mm-hmm. is by Robert Yeoman. This is indicative of, you know, a lot of the Wes Anderson films. I think all of them are by the same cinematographer, and I think half of his movies are by uh, composed by Mark Mothersbaugh. The budget was 9 to 10 million. It grossed 17 to 19 million. So it made its money back plus interest. And uh, yeah, I guess that's really it for me. Do you have anything you want to talk about the film before we get started? I think we should just dive into this damn plot. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. We should also mention too. 
if it doesn't come up, the music is really good in this movie. It's um, very good. Yeah. yeah. It's got like one of those, one of those soundtracks that just keeps hit after hit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oyoko is my favorite oh, uh, moment. Yeah. This. I was yeah, also one of my really uses of music in film, I think. I think so too. I would agree with that. Oh, I think a, a close second place silver medal for me in this film is the use of that Cat Stevens song. Um, yes. Which I think is very, very good. Uh, originally, Wes Anderson wanted it to be completely the kinks, all of it the kinks. Um, but that obviously changed at some point during production. Max Fisher, Schwartzman, an eccentric 15-year-old, is a scholarship student at Rushmore Academy, a private school in Houston. I, th- I think it is funny that this is all taking place in Houston. <laughs> yeah. I would have not have... I don't think they... Do they ever say that this is taking place in Houston? No, I don't think... I don't even think they say it's in Texas. I don't think they say it's in Texas. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so funny that it's in texas you just for some reason you feel like it's east coast i don't know why i just get an east coast vibe from it but yeah. he is uh both rushmore's most ex- uh extracurricularly active and least scholarly student he spends nearly all of his time on elaborate extracurricular activities dramatically affecting his grades he also has a feud with the school's headmaster dr guggenheim um at a school assembly max meets herman bloom so we should probably talk about the beginning of this film it's like a little dream max is having how do you feel about the intro to max fisher (laughs) so i think right right off the bat i mean i was just reminded of how silly (laughs) this movie is and i was like uh this is way more uh like i feel like this stylistically rushmore just gets way more Wes Anderson-y, uh, mm. to use a word that doesn't exist, than what we saw in Bottle Rocket. And I think oh, a lot of yeah. that's Bottle, like yeah. budgetary uh, stuff. But yeah, I was just immediately like, oh yeah, this kid is ridiculous and funny and, mm-hmm. and he's just immediately a smartass. I like it. Yeah, his he's drinking coffee um reading mm-hmm. the paper at his desk when he's called upon he just gets, says who me <laughs> yeah yeah he's also the idea that like if you solve this math problem none of you will ever have to do math again like a teacher <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have that power uh that yeah. would yeah but obviously it's a dream yeah um he wakes up at a school assembly max meets herman bloom a a disillusioned industrialist who finds his operation of a milton of multi a multi-million dollar company to be tedious he's upset that his marriage is failing and the two sons he's putting through rushmore are impolite and obnoxious brats spoiled by their mother herman comes to like max and the two become good friends max is impressed by herman's success while herman is interested in max's confident persona um, so in this scene, we get, uh, Herman Cain giving his speech. Oh, I'm sorry. Herman Cain. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That was a Freudian slip, I guess. Uh, Herman, Herman Bloom's speech. Uh, I am obsessed with Herman Bloom's speech to these kids. He's like, some of you are rich and will stay rich, but for the others, Get, put them in your sights, keep them in your sights, and take them out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Apparently, that speech is based on the Wilson's dad. Like, that's apparently oh, a really? speech he would have given. Yeah. <laughs> 
put them in your sights and take them out. <laughs> uh, this is when he meets Max. Uh, he likes Max immediately. This is when we get the montage of all the different uh, clubs Max is a part of. Do you happen to like any of these clubs more than the other one? Um, I, I, I The beekeeper one is very funny to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I but, uh, I like the gag of being the lacrosse captain where all he's doing is just putting all the helmets in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's some great visual gags in this film and a lot of them, so, you know, I think every single one of the clubs is a great visual gag. Uh, so, Oh, the, de- the debate team is another really great quick cutaway of them just screaming at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we also I guess get a little bit of the sons too. Get your head out of your ass is a great. I mean that's an iconic moment. Yeah. Um, Max also develops an obsession with Rosemary Cross, played by Olivia Williams, a widowed teacher who arrives at Rushmore as a new first grade instructor. She joined Rushmore after the death of her husband, Edward Appleby. He'll become to be known as. Apparently, all the pictures in this movie of Edward Appleby are just of Owen Wilson. <laughs> the pictures and, oh, yeah. and yeah. like paintings are just Owen Wilson. Yeah. Yep. And he was a former student at Rushmore. So, Max, uh, it's weird how he runs into her. I will say that. Like, there's, there's like, uh, in I never noticed how many things happen out of convenience in this film, but like one of them is that. Like it would be, just, it'd be really easy if Max was just a student in one of her classes. But instead, what he is doing is he's reading a book, and in the margins of the book, there's a quote from Jacques uh, Jacques Cousteau, and then he gets like whoever r- r- checked the book out last to go, I don't know, confront them about writing in the book. It's strange. What do you make of this? Yeah, that was odd to me too. That's another thing where I was like, oh, I didn't question this at all when I was a kid. Yes, same. When I was younger, but now I'm like, huh, that's a pretty strange roundabout uh, way for him to to, to meet this lady. Um, but I do like that quote a lot. Uh, and I, I, it's one of those, I'm trying to pull it up so I can... Uh, when one man, for whatever reason, has the opportunity to lead an extraordinary life, he has no right to keep it to himself. Mm, mm. I like that quote a lot. Uh, yeah. it, it is like, yeah, the more I kind of think about it, though, I'm like, that is a weird, that's a really weird thing to do, to like see that someone wrote in a book a quote and then like track them down. Yes. Uh, but... I don't know. Whatever. It is weird. I never thought about it before. It, again, I think a lot of things happen in this movie like out of convenience or like or maybe convenience is the wrong word. Like it's like an overcomplicated way to get him to meet the teacher, but it is it is funny nonetheless and we get an early Jacques Cousteau thing, which is going to be his Wes Anderson's basis for his fourth movie, The Life Aquatic, mm-hmm. which is all about Jacques Cousteau. So um I will say that is one of the things where now, having seen all the Wes Andersons, mm. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a very Wes Anderson-y thing. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but just observationally, like, yeah, that's something Wes Anderson would do in yeah. a story. For sure, yeah. It's like the precociousness of the of Max is undeniably... You get the sense that maybe that was 
exactly who Wes Anderson was as a kid or who Owen Wilson was as a kid, you know, like this, mm-hmm. these smart Alec, just so annoying, like so precocious children. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, de- definitely there's so much humor that could be found in that kind of a character. Um, yeah, so uh, while she initially tolerates Max and his attempt to pursue her, Rosemary becomes increasingly worried about his obvious infatuation. Along the way, Bloom attempts to convince Max that Rosemary is not worth the trouble, only to fall for Rosemary himself. The two begin dating without Max's knowledge. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think it, it, you know, it doesn't age as poorly as you might think. Like a, a film that the whole concept is centered around a 15 year old who falls in love with his older teacher. Like it's treated with such a, in such a storybook way that I think that it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me or ick me out or anything really. I mean, I don't know how you felt, but it, it, it makes me feel like just uncomfortable for the situation. Like the intentions don't seem bad or anything. I more my feeling of it is like this kid is like ruining this woman's life. I know exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what he's, what he is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and kind of Bloom's life too. He's kind of ruining both of their lives. (laughs) Um, so, uh, there is a dinner scene featuring Luke Wilson. Um, that happens around this time. And I find this to be uh, as uncomfortable as it gets for Max when he's like drunk after I think the play is Serpico. Is that what the play is that he's, <laughs> he's, <Yeah. laughs> he's, he's doing at, at his, at uh, Rushmore. Yeah. It's Serpico and like just the most intense thematically intense choice. You could have a bunch of little kids put on which is sort of like a running gag throughout the film is like Max keeps putting on what would be like Broadway smash plays. You know what I mean? They would be like incredible high production value plays uh, at this school. Like in the world, in the weird world of this school, it's, it's just like perfectly acceptable to have cussing and, and so, so much violence in your in your school's play um this was such an iconic like framing device that the mt i think i we we talked about this but the mtv movie awards that year was all host Mm. like all of the segments were done by the kids from the wes anderson movie like so they were putting on play versions of all the films nominated that year interesting yeah it's really cool to go back and watch all of those like that that year's MTV MTV Movie Awards. Um. So yeah. So what did you? How do you feel about the Luke Wilson scene? Like at dinner when Max is drunk and he's like he's saying stuff to him like Max is or Luke Wilson's like you know hey what happened to your nose? He's like I was punched. What's your excuse? <laughs> like just like oh man, just like it's, great it's lines. The back and forth, like the dialogue, is really funny. Again, and I, I guess this is just how I feel about the entire movie because I keep saying this, but it's another thing where I'm like, I don't know. I just don't. Where when I once sort of like believed in this Max character a little bit and and saw myself, and maybe I'm a little bit embarrassed that I even did kind of identify with him. 
Yeah. This is becoming a very introspective. I'm. So, I. I. I guess I had a very introspective. Uh, no, that's great. Take on this film. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I, and there's no reason to be embarrassed. I mean, I think. I think we all identify with characters that end up like when we watch them later, we go like, "Well, wait a minute. Like, well, this character is actually." not as cool as I first thought when I watched him. And maybe that was never even really the intention of the character. But to me, I read the character as like overly zealous and clearly very talented who is just born. He was born in the wrong era. Like he's just not, he's out of time. He's not, he's stuck in a 15 year old's body when he's clearly a 40 year old intellectual like that is like who max seeks to be he wants to be like herman bloom he wants to be like guggenheim but he Uh is a barber son and he's stuck in this sort of scenario uh but everyone like i just love the way luke wilson treats him in this scene like he's such a kid like anytime max says anything luke wilson just like looks around the table like what's going on? Like, are you guys seeing this? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and when, when Miss Cross g- snaps at Bill Murray and she's like, you're the one who decided to give him alcohol. And you just see the sh- look of shame across Bill Murray's face, like so embarrassed that he caused this. <laughs> it's yeah. It, it's so, it's still, rem- it, there's also like such a funny recurring joke in the film that Max, this kid, got both of these adults to basically he's got them like wrapped around his finger in a way. So like later we're about we're gonna see Bill Murray's character like playing uh in but going in between Max and Miss Cross, being like mm-hmm. Max wants to see you. And it's just so funny that he It is funny that, that he, he has, was able to yeah. manipulate these adults. These adults, yeah, because they're adults. Like they should not be falling for this, but somehow they're wrapped up in it. And I do love Bill Murray's line when Miss Cross says, "I feel like, I feel like it's uh, this is all my fault for letting him get that close." And Bill Murray goes, eh, "You did your best." <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just such an acknowledgement of like some kids are just insane. Like, <laughs> like yeah. you, you can't, you couldn't have. You couldn't have really done anything about this. Uh, so after Max attempts to break ground on an aquarium without the school's approval, he's expelled from R- Rushmore. Um, I love we get we get the third Wilson here. Uh, he's the coach. Wait. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, he's the he's the older brother. He's um, what's the future man from Bottle Rocket, and he's the uh, the coach in uh, this. He's the guy who comes up to he's like, "Hey, you're building on my baseball diamond." Like he sounds <laughs> oh, yeah. just like a Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then he is uh, forced to enroll in uh, public school at Grover Cleveland High. Max's attempt to engage in outside activities at his new school have mixed results. A fellow student, Margaret Yang. Okay, so one thing I will totally side. I'm gonna totally like take your stance on max with is the way he treats margaret yang i did not yeah. love that that was sort no. of like he is such a shitbag to her and i don't think he deserved to get with her in the end of the film like he, he kind of like is mean to her and then at one point he's just like walking through the halls takes her glasses off of her face and tells her that she's gonna skip her music lesson <laughs> to come audition for his play um yeah, he's just kind of a jerk to her, and I I didn't really appreciate that. Like that kind of really rubbed me the wrong way and put me not on Max's side for a bit. But 
at the end of the day, you're like, well, they are kids. I don't know. Like he does, you know, learn a lesson, I suppose. But I feel like Margaret Yang shouldn't have uh, taken him back. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I the pub like going to a public school stuff is interesting to me because I I kind of did the I I went to a private school and then I went to a public high school mm-hmm. and my experience was way different. I was I was like this is awesome, but uh, I I don't know. I kind of I just I sort of like yes, he's mean. He's definitely I don't like the way that he treats uh what, is it Margaret Margaret Yang yeah. Yeah, um, I don't like that very much, but uh, I I do feel bad for him that like this is how he feels about like going to a public school. Like it's so weird how his entire life is just he just loves Rushmore. Like mm-hmm. he just loves this like prep school. Uh, I forget what point in the movie it is where he he says that he just wants to like spend his entire life at Rushmore. Yeah. That's so odd to me to a point where I, while I was watching this, I was kind of thinking about that and I was like, that is like a really funny like character. Like if I was writing a comedy sketch, like if someone pitched me a comedy sketch of like, yeah, this guy who's just like obsessed with his, like now he's like 40 years old and he's still obsessed with his like prep school that he went to when he was a kid. Right. Yeah. Like, it is a funny, I, I, it's funny, but I felt bad for him. Like, I felt, I was like, this sucks that this is, you feel like you have to make this, like, speech to all the kids in your public school class uh, and and kind of talk down to them and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is very sad. It's, it's sort of like a, um, this is like a art house version of Van Wilder in a way. It's like a person who's <laughs> kind of stuck in their in their youth and and can't really move past it. And also, you know, this is the story of so many people from high school, especially if they were popular. Like they kind of get stuck and stunted in mm. their high school where they were the king. And then once they get out, they find usually usually in college that if they end up going to college, I feel like a lot of popular people in high school end up sort of just working in the town they grew up in and staying kind of like local heroes in that town as best they can until they're inevitably forgotten. But I feel like a lot of people get, you know, sort of get their ass kicked when they first get to college. Not like literally their ass kicked, but the dawning, you know, the realization that they're not, that everyone, nobody knows them and no one cares to know them suddenly is really hard. Now, mm. for guys like Eric and I, uh, we love going to public school and we love going to a, a new college because it's like new people. I don't presume I'm going to be the king of this place. So, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good that can come from change. But Max is unwilling to change like every good hero in any good I will say, story. I will say uh, the, the one thing that uh, I do still identify with him is I I maintain that the my favorite point in my life was high school. <laughs> Specifically like the last 2 years of high school. I loved high school. I was uh like I wasn't good at it. I wasn't good at school and I didn't do any extracurricular activities, but I was like I felt like I I was pretty well liked and I was mm-hmm. kind of like the silly kid so no one hated me. Great. And it's just like the structure of it and like knowing that it's like everyone's being forced to hang out and yeah. some people suck but then you meet some really great people 
and it's the funniest situations imaginable happen because yeah. <laughs> just the idea of like going to this weird brick building at like six in the morning every day <laughs> yeah. is like funny to me. So I do identify a little bit with the sentiment of that's him, interesting like, yeah always just never wanting to leave rushmore oh you could almost read it as maybe he's like afraid of growing up or something totally yeah he's afraid of change he's also afraid of being found out like he kind of reminds me of all those kids who lied about what their parents do in high school like or the the my uncle works at nintendo kids you know like um because you know max you know, we see that his dad's a barber, but we see that he, he doesn't want that to be the case. He wants his dad to be a neurosurgeon. So that gives him some sort of clout and kind of goes with yeah. his aesthetic that Max is trying to put forward. Um, so it is funny when he says, uh, I'm a barber's son to his dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> and he's it, just like sad about it. His dad, Seymour Cassell, by the way, he's a staple of all the Cassavetti's films of the 60s. Seymour Cassell is one of the all-time greats and the way he treats his son I think is just so funny in this movie like even when his son says something as crazy as like I'm a barber son dad like <laughs> it's like it's old Sicily and he's a shoe he's like a cobbler and he and in an old Sicily that you know cobblers will never be politicians or something it's like the rules are just not like that at all and but him pretending that you just see Seymour Cassell just smiling at him like it's the funniest thing in the world <laughs> Um, like his father doesn't care that he is a barber. Like he's like, he's perfectly secure and fine with that. Um, so back to Yang, Yang tries to befriend Max, but he acts hostile towards her. Rosemary and Bloom attempt to support him in his new school. Eventually Max's friend Dirk discovers the relationship between Rosemary and Bloom and informs Max as payback for a rumor Max started about his mother. Uh, this is a really flippant, thing that max does I, f I found it to be really upsetting like he gets made fun of about something about getting kicked out of rushmore and then he just lies that his friend dirk's mom gave him a hand job yeah and it's like i get i mean kids definitely do that but I, as a character in a film i'm like that was really flippant and it didn't i don't know if it seemed like it seemed like the max's character would do that from here on out, it's pretty consistent with Max's behavior, you know, with what, like trying to kill Herman Bloom and cutting the brakes on his car and, you know, lying <laughs> right. about everything, you know, but, and I guess it does, it is consistent with him lying about what his dad does out of shame, but it, it, it was like, it was just like, okay, geez, like, and, 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 and for no, not, no other reason other than just to, it's not, I don't even think like, what's his name believed him, the guy, um, the Scottish guy. What's his name? Oh, uh, don't remember his name. I know who you're talking about, though. Yeah, his, Magnus. Magnus. Um, Max and Bloom go from being friends to mortal enemies. They engage in back-and-forth acts of revenge. Max informs Bloom's wife of her husband's affair, thus ending their marriage. <laughs> that is so crazy. Um, I love that cut from when... Jason Schwartzman tells her about it to cut to Bill Murray's just checking into a hotel and he's telling the bellhop like, he's like, how long are you going to be saying? He's like, indefinitely. I'm being sued for divorce. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And the bellhop's just like, great. He goes, he goes, very good, sir. <laughs> yes, very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, this uh, the spiraling out of control that Bloom goes through, where he's smoking two cigarettes at the same time and drinking constantly from like a Diet Coke can, is uh, so funny to me. Just how sad Bill Murray can look in 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 certain films. Bill Murray has this ability to look like the saddest man alive, and it's yeah. so awesome. Uh, Max then puts bees in Bloom's hotel room leading to Bloom breaking Max's bicycle with his car. Max is eventually arrested for cutting the brakes on Bloom's car on Bloom's car. Max eventually gives up and meets Bloom at his mother's grave. He explains that revenge no longer matters because even if he wins, Rosemary will still love Bloom. Max becomes depressed and stops attending school. He becomes reclusive and starts uh, and start and works as an apprentice at his father's barber shop. One day, Dirk stops by the shop to apologize to Max and brings him a Christmas present. Dirk... This is sweet. I like yeah, that. Oh, I like yeah. this. I also love like how much younger Dirk is to, than Max. You know, like they're friends and Dirk is so clearly like such a small child. Like Dirk looks like he could be eight or nine <laughs> years old and Max is 15. And I just... I don't know why I'm charmed by their friendship, but it is... Very sweet and innocent, and Max takes Dirk really seriously, which I think is, um, which I think is cool. Is it around this time that we get the kite scene where Margaret Yang walks up to Max and is like, "You're a you you were mean to me." Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, that's a so. really good scene. That's when the Cat Stevens song starts to play. I really like when he's, um, when he's taking. He's like, "Please take dictation." to to dirk I, I believe it's dirk who's flying the kite with him and he says um he starts making a list of people in the latin club that should be mm-hmm. in the latin club is that right it's like a list of people oh no no kite flying society is that is that the yeah, the club I, yeah I it's so. like he's gonna start a new club again and i just love when he starts rattling off names and one of them is shoeshine pickens and that is so funny <laughs> <laughs> there's a kid named shoeshine pickens <laughs> um yeah uh so max begins to apply himself in school again and also develops a friendship with <laughs> margaret whom he casts in one of his plays Max takes his final shot at Rosemary by pretending to be injured in a car accident, soliciting her affection. He kisses her, which I think is pretty gutsy. It's yeah. it was it was a pretty gutsy move. And she, you know, in this scene is like it's it kind of gets a little tense, tensely romantic. Um I mean Jay- Yeah, it is yeah. it's a little weird. It is a little weird, yeah. Uh she does discover though that it is just ketchup that he has put on his face and she gets mad at him and sends him on his way. Uh, when she discovers Max injuries are fake, he is rebuffed again. Max makes his new mission to win Rosemary back for his friend, Herman Bloom. His first attempt is unsuccessful. But then he invites both Herman and Rosemary to the performance of a play he wrote. Um, by the way, before this happens, we do get a very sweet scene where uh, Max invites Herman to the barber shop to meet his dad and so that he can meet, you know, see what his dad really does. And uh, it's mm. a really sweet scene. And I, I, lo- I love it. And, you know, because at this point, Bill Murray looks like such shit. 
He looks like such hell. Yeah. He's been punched yeah. in the eye with by one of his sons, and he says something to the effect of like, "Yeah, I don't know uh, which one did it." Like kids, kids don't tend to like it when their parents get divorced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and yeah, I just found I found this scene to be really sweet, and it ends with one of the best jokes in the whole thing, where he's like, he's like, "How much are you worth?" to Herman Bloom. He's like, mm, I don't know. He goes over 10 million. And Bill Murray's like, yeah, something like that. And he goes, good. We're going to need all of it. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that Max's plan is going to require $10 million. And I love that she doesn't show up to yep. the, to the ribbon cutting. Bloom immediately regrets everything. It's so funny, but uh, he does invite them both to the play. He sits them together. He even invites Luke Wilson back to the play, tells him to wear a tie. Yeah. And uh, he puts on a play called um, Heaven and Hell. Is that that's what it's called? Heaven and Hell Cotillion? Cotillion. Cotillion. Yeah. Yep. And this is a Vietnam play where he, at the beginning, he, <laughs> yeah. he, gives a, he gives a little speech where he's like, this is for my mother which is really sweet. And he goes, and uh, Edward Appleby, a friend of a friend. Uh-huh. And then he goes, and then, so it's a really sweet moment. And he goes, and then please, as a reminder, there are gloves and earmuffs underneath each one of your seats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love the audience reaction of like, okay, sure. And then the, that there's like a, a beautiful moment where they all realize like, oh, he was serious where he actually, yeah are all going to put these on. <laughs> yeah, and then and none of them uh and when and when people everyone puts them on the audience by the way, I noticed that Herman Bloom does not put his on. He's the only one in the audience if you notice oh. who does not put on his goggles or earmuffs. He just right. is staring straight ahead. So the play is like an absolute insane war play um and uh at the end of it uh Rosemary and Bloom appear to reconcile uh outside over a cigarette max and margaret become a couple and dance together and max shares a dance with rosemary all to the song i wish i knew what i know now by rod stewart the band is called something else but it's rod stewart singing um eric faces is he the faces faces, yeah 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 Mm -hmm. yeah the faces eric what did you think of this dig dang movie? You know, as much as I as much as I talked about how, you know, I I no longer identify with Max and and you know, maybe I have, you know, this film doesn't do it for me like it once did. There was a point in my life where, man, Rushmore, like I remember seeing Rushmore for the first time. Very profound uh movie watching experience. Um and you know what? I think I think it's a great movie. I think it's sort of uh, you know maybe maybe this film is is for someone like me when I was fifteen or whatever, uh, and that's and that and that's fine. I think the fact that I can still watch it now, and you know, I mean, it's not like a children's movie, but the fact that I can still watch this movie that when I was a dumb, annoying teenager. Uh, I, I, you know, identified with so much and, and felt so inspired by, and I can still be just thoroughly entertained, uh, not from nostalgia, but just from a well-executed uh, 
story and mm-hmm. filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's great. I think this is a really good movie. I think it's a good uh, sophomore uh, film, of course. But yeah. uh, I will say, I do think that I do think that Bottle Rocket is still. I like Bottle Rocket better, right? Uh, than Rushmore. Uh, I gave Bottle Rocket a four out of four. Chucky Freckles. That's right. Uh, Rushmore. I don't. I think I'll have to go three to three out of four. I don't oh. know if I can do. I don't know if I can do three point five. But uh, I think three three out of four. Chucky Freckles is is quite good. So Jeremy, I'd yes. love to know what did you think. Wait, before before we get off of you though, do you think that this viewing of Rushmore has knocked it out of second place for your favorite Wes Andersons? Like, do you think that maybe this will get crowned, uh, de- dethroned by another one of his films? I think there's a pretty good. I think there's oh, a good chance. Yeah, that's I think to I look actually out think for, listener. You know, we'll see, but uh, I do have very fond memories of Tenenbaums, which I haven't seen in probably 10 years or so. Yeah. So we'll see. Tenenbaums we'll see, but, uh, is my absolute favorite Wes Anderson film, so I think right. we're, uh, yeah. Okay, so my, my experience watching Rushmore is this, for some, whatever reason, it hit me better than ever this time. Um, I always say that my favorite Wes Anderson movie is the one I saw last that's proving to be true even more mm-hmm. so the older I get, uh, this is my at this at this point. I mean, Ten of Moms is my like on, you know, on paper favorite. But like at this point, I'm Rushmore is. I mean, it's my favorite movie ever made right now. I'm just like in such in in still basking in the glow of its humor and charm. There's no movie quite like it. Um, so I'm going to be very favorable to Rushmore. I gave Bottle Rocket a 3.5. I believe I have to give Rushmore a 3.75. 3.75. It doesn't get the perfect. There are some problems with Rushmore that I take umbrage with, but for the most part, it's all gravy, baby. I love, I love me some Max Fisher. I love, uh, above all things, above Jason Schwartzman's performance, I love Bill Murray's performance in the film. He's absolutely a killer in this. Oh, yeah. So, Jeremy, you know what? Sign up for that damn Patreon, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. You can go, you know, I've been dropping sort of little previews of of our bonus episodes. If you look in our feed uh, on whatever podcast app you're on, you can get a little taste of uh, just the wacky tomfoolery that goes on over there on the patreon and uh yeah like jeremy said october is the best month to sign up so do it up it's only five bucks a month you get four episodes a month uh and norma i'll see you in my dreams Ooh, woo.